Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christiania Saturdays. Today is Saturday, April 7th, 2018. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and thank you for listening. I had initially planned on speaking about a few topics tonight, and, and the ones I ended up with sort of converged from recent Facebook conversations if we can call them conversations I'm I, I'm sorry I don't want to um, irritate any of my Facebook friends but sometimes misunderstandings happen and and that's the way it is and when when, when arguments erupt amongst people that um, you understand appreciate your work on all sides you just kind of sit and scratch your head and say how the hell did that happen so this is waiting on the Lord why do we have divisions and and wow we should all be single-minded we should all be on, on of the same mind waiting on the Lord waiting on Yahshua Christ this evening I am going to ask why do we have divisions and I am also going to answer that question at least in some respects at the same time we must know what it means to wait on the Lord that we cannot take the vengeance of Yahweh our God into our own hands all of this shall hopefully serve to illustrate both the vanity and futility of man and of course when I say we I refer to identity Christians or at least to those identity Christians who appreciate our work here at Christiania the other day as we were on our way home from Kentucky several friends tried to pull me into an argument on social media at the start of it was a post and some errant conclusions which were based upon a mistranslation of Luke 1249 and we will get to that shortly so the result was an argument and a blow-up among friends who are otherwise very helpful to our common cause I hate to see that but I never really got to read the ensuing arguments since it is hard to read and watch for the cops while traveling 85 miles an hour down the interstate so this evening I thought to do a program discussing several topics and Luke 1249 will be one of them I am not taking sides or trying to favor any of my friends the arguing was deleted before I could respond to the calls for my opinion and perhaps that is that is all the better I only seek the truth of the matters at hand and hope that all of my friends are willing to follow along in that endeavor. This same thing also often happens in the Christoginia Forum, and I hope that some of our friends there also take note. It, it's like a different world, the forum and, and my Facebook circle. But even in the forum, we are constantly beset with petty divisions, and that's it's quite unfortunate that arguments that that are basically related to trivial matters cause divisions and and enmity between brethren they should never 
if our divisions are not in regard to God and race, if the war which we wage is not hampered by our petty differences, if we are not openly espousing lies and distractions, then why do we fight at all? There are truths which we must stand for, and there are things which are peripheral, or which should be considered peripheral. Most of the infighting I see among identity Christians is over these peripheral things. Flat Earth is probably the most common of those. Now there is some arguing between identity Christians that is for damned good reason, especially when certain so-called Christian identity pastors try to obfuscate or obscure scripture in regard to the race issue. We can't tolerate that. We can't tolerate the clowns who refute oneness. That reminds me of a series of podcasts done by a certain Chicago rabbi who was posing as a Christian identity pastor a couple of years ago and did a series on talk show called Oneness Refuted as if he could oppose Yahshua Christ who says that I and my father are one and that's an entirely different story but those things are worth arguing over and we have to we have to defend basic scriptural truths if something isn't a basic scriptural truth if it has no bearing on our Christian walk then we should push that to the back burner and not beat each other up with it or demand that others believe our opinions. Mark Downey used to say that there are people who like to major in the minors and end up minoring in the majors. In other words, they end up fighting with one another over insignificant things. And while they are fighting, they ignore the things that matter most. Of this Christ had said in Matthew chapter 23, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law. Judgment mercy and faith. These you ought to have done and not to leave the other undone. We do not want to be as the Pharisees neglecting judgment, mercy, and faith over petty differences. Of course there are differences which are not petty and we must draw lines to distinguish them. So we do fight in defense of our racial integrity and for the basic substance of the Christian truth and in opposition to the enemies of our God. If the flat earth is really a dodecahedron, those important matters upon which identity Christians should generally agree do not change and we must also remain steadfast in support of them. But people usually remain adamant in their errors and resist their brethren on account of their own egos. 
Last Sunday, we were at the Fellowship of God's Covenant People in Northern Kentucky, and they had a guest pastor named Brian Jones give a sermon. The service was prefaced by eulogies for Mark Downey, and Brian gave the sermon that he had originally planned. He is sort of old-school Christian identity, so he said a few things which we did not agree with. But I ignored those things for the sake of peace among brethren, shook his hand, and gave him a copy of my Romans commentary, hoping he reads it and inquires as to our differences so that we can discuss them further. During his sermon, Brian brought up the same topic which we address here. He described a local Christian identity church in Indiana, which closed a few years ago. The pastor had a few murals painted on a wall, and one of them had a depiction of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Brian explained how several church members had complained that Adam and Eve had belly buttons in the painting and were asserting that they could not have had belly buttons because they were never born. Out of pride, they continued complaining until most of the church members took one side or the other and ultimately half of the membership quit over the issue. They just couldn't leave it alone. So the church, losing much of its support, had to close its doors. This is the sort of pharisaical pride which often causes divisions among us. People who are wise in their own conceits, as Paul often explains, think they have something figured out. And if we do not agree with them a hundred percent, they shun us and scorn us and often turn to cursing us. But how the hell would they know that Yahweh did not create the first man with the belly button? If God created man, why could he not create a belly button also? How can we pretend to know anything more than what our scriptures inform us? And why is it even worth arguing? This is exactly what Paul meant when he told the Corinthians that all the knowledge we have, the knowledge inflates, but love builds. If one supposes to have known anything, not yet does he know according as there is need to know. Now there is nothing wrong with actual knowledge, and of course Paul illustrates its virtues in many other passages in his epistles. But there is something wrong with holding knowledge without love and using it to vaunt oneself over one's brethren. So going back to the dispute in which my friends tried to involve me, with the advent of the internet and the easy accessibility to a plethora of Bible commentaries and translations and other related literature, it has become very easy for people to pick and choose Bible translations for various passages which help to better support a certain belief or agenda. This is often done uncritically of the integrity of the translation chosen to support such an agenda. So many of our Christian identity friends often do this same thing. They may prefer 
one version of Scripture for one passage and other versions for other passages, wherever it suits their own opinions and regardless of the content or context of the passage in the original language. Just recently we saw this in Luke 12.49. A friend who evidently wanted to uphold the idea that Christians must take action against their enemies at the present time, and he found a translation of this passage to support that idea. In spite of the many passages of scripture which are clearly in opposition, I'm going to explain this passage at length, this Luke 12.49. The Greek of the passage from the Nestle Eland Novum Testamentum Grece, the 27th edition, the NA27, per Elphon Baalin Epitain Gain. That's the first phrase, the first clause. Per Elphon Baalin Epitain Gain. And the second clause, Kahiti Thelo, I Ede, and And I know that sounds like Greek to you, but I'm going to explain it. The first phrase, per, is fire. Elphon is I have come. Baling to cast, epitain gain, upon the earth, or upon the land upon the earth in most translations, even my own. I have come to cast fire upon the earth. This phrase is rather consistently translated across all significant English versions of scripture. There are a few ancient manuscripts which have, which have ice or into rather than epi or upon, but that difference is insignificant as it does not affect the general interpretation of, of the clause. But that is the only difference among the manuscripts, among the ancient manuscripts, for this particular verse. The second clause. Kahi ti thalo i a day and a fay. Kahi is and. T thalo is what do I wish or what do I purpose or what do I will. I is if. A day is already. And a fay is it is ignited. Third person singular past tense. It is quite literally read in the Christogenia New Testament to mean, and what do I purpose if it is ig already ignited? The word purpose may also have been rendered as wish, will, or desire. So the King James Version has will. What do I will? What is my will, we may say in, in, in more modern language. In effect, by his question, Christ is saying that he came to cast fire on the earth, and that his will has no purpose if the earth were already burning. However, however, this is a 
big, however, when you compare all the various translations of this verse in Bible Hub, where you could get about 20 of them. And we will mention them all here this evening. However, there are many variant readings of Luke 12.49, which may allow readers to come to a different conclusion as to its meaning. And before we begin, we will, before we be, begin to look at some of those translations, we must discuss two Greek words which the various readings, the various translations, often neglect. And those two Greek words are very short. They are T and I. T is spelled T-I and I is spelled E-I. The Greek particle T is a shortened form of tis, T-I-S. This word is an indefinite pronoun which can refer to anyone or anything. In some sentences it might be translated as someone or something referring to an object, right? However, it is also commonly used in questions, which is the context here, where it means who, or which, or what. Its presence in the sentence cannot be ignored when the sentence is translated. The New International Version of the Bible reads this particular verse to say, I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. So they, first they ignored the if, right? And we'll get to that. They ignored that little word I, E-I. But they translated the word tis as how. Now, primarily the word how is an adverb which describes or asks in what way, or in what manner, or by what means something may be done. Or it inquires into the condition, or quality, or extent, or degree, or state of a thing. The word how cannot properly be used to answer itself, as if Christ had said, I wish very much. That is an English colloquialism which cannot properly be attributed to the original use of the Greek word tis. But the New International Version also neglected to translate another Greek word here, which is I. The phrase I a day anaphthe, anaphthe being a verb, kindled, cannot honestly be read to say it were already kindled, because it means if it were already kindled. The New International Version just drops that if. It's kind of like inconvenient. We'll just get rid of it, right? With certain tenses and moods of verbs, the word I can act as an interjection, for which it is usually used along with other particles other prepositions or Greek exclamations or whatever. However, here it is a subordinating conjunction connecting the two clauses, as well as stating a condition, since it is a conditional particle, if. 
but in any way neither can the presence of this word be ignored when translating this passage and many of the translations which we have do indeed ignore this word as if it is not present at all now a similar phrase I a day tefneka which we would translate as if he were already dead appears in Mark chapter 15 verse 44 for that with the verb being an imperfect tense and in the indicative mood and the third person the New International Version has if Jesus had already died and they added the name Jesus to the sentence because it doesn't appear in the Greek it should say if he had already died but that's fair in in context you can't really say that that's wrong to do if they wanted to be specific about who the pronoun represents right I, I'll, I can overlook that but now we can see that in Mark 1544 the New International Version translates the phrase I a day properly as if already if already Jesus had died but here in Luke 1249 where we have the same exact phrase they ignored the if at Mark 1544 the King James Version has the longer phrase to read he asked him whether he had been any while dead or already dead the language is quite archaic and the word weather also expressing a condition is a fair translation in this context so the new international version of Luke chapter 12 verse 49 is a very poor translation it seems to render tease as if it is an adverb describing the magnitude or extent of a thing in this case the desire which is expressed by the verb when properly it can only inquire into the magnitude or extent of a, such a thing as an adverb tease does not modify another word but only asks a question when the NIV completely ignores the conditional particle I as if the word was not even there in addition to mistranslating that word tease right the New English, I'm sorry, the English Standard Version, the Berrien Study Bible, the Berrien Literal Bible, the New American Standard Bible, the Christian Standard Bible, the Good News Translation, the Holman Christian Standard Bible, the International Standard Version, the NET Bible, New English Translation, I believe that stands for, the New American Standard 1977 Bible, a different and earlier edition of the New American Standard Bible and the Weymouth New Testament all do just as the NIV has done with Luke 12:49, completely ignoring that word I or if and misinterpreting the word peace or what as if it were supplying an answer or at least creating an exclamation rather than asking a question now even worse than these aforementioned versions 
The New Living Translation ignores both these words. It ignores both peace and I, where it has, I have come to set the world on fire, and I wish it were already burning. There is no word in that translation which reflects either the what or the if. This is completely dishonest, and many other translations do this same thing, such as the Contemporary English Version, the English Standard Version, the New Heart English Bible, the supposed God's Word translation, and the King James 2000 Bible. All those versions completely ignore two words in this one simple Greek sentence. We wonder why we have so many different variations of Christian doctrine. When we have so many dishonest translations, it should be no wonder. The Aramaic Bible in plain English has only has only the word only in place of teas, and that's not right either. And I only wish it were already burning. It also misses the if. But all of the original manuscripts of Luke are in Greek. And we do not know where the dishonesty lies since the New Testament portion of this Bible must have been translated from the original Greek into Aramaic and then more recently into English. We would never accept such a version as an authoritative specimen of the scriptures. The Douay-Rheims Bible comes closer to the truth, but like the Aramaic Bible, this is also a version that went through another language to get to English, being translated from Greek to Latin to English. And it reads, I am come to cast fire on the earth, and what will I, so they got that part right, but that it be kindled. So the word I, which means if, becomes but, and it should instead be if. In regard to Luke 12.49, if we had to use one badly translated verse of scripture in order to make a judgment, every one of these aforementioned translations are trash. They all translated this verse dishonestly, and some even more dishonestly than others. Perhaps our enemies would have us believe that Judeo-Christianity set the world ablaze. But nothing is further from the truth. In reality, Judeo-Christianity has done everything that it can to stomp out the fires which were kindled by true apostolic Christianity. And their own translators condemn them because all of these translations, every single one of them, missed the if in Luke 12.49, in the phrase, I, a day, and a But none of them miss the if, in Mark 15.44, in the very similar phrase, I, a day, tethneken, 
which means if he had already died. So they all got it right in Mark 15:44. Every one of them got it wrong in Luke 12:49. <laughs> That's sad, but it's funny. I'm laughing because it's funny because it's so blatantly dishonest and all these clowns, they still get their paychecks. So comparing if it were already kindled to if he had already died, how do so many translations miss one if and not the other? This is the danger of picking and choosing Bible translations on a passage-by-passage -passage basis. You are going to be burned time and again. The Jubilee Bible 2000 actually has a different reading from any of these which we believe is far better than any of them, even if we do not quite agree. It says, I am come to cast fire into the earth, and what do I desire except that it be kindled? There are certain contexts where we may render the Greek word I as except, but this is not one of them. This rendering portrays the statement as an assessment by Christ, that it is his casting of fire that does the kindling. And we cannot argue with that, except that we have except that we do not accept that reading of the Greek. However, it is still a better translation than than any of these others, since we cannot imagine that it may lead to some dangerous and false doctrine. Here the King James Version and Everybody that listens to me knows that I am highly critical of the King James in many places. But here the King James Version quite properly has Luke 12.49 to read, I am come to send fire on the earth, and what will I? And that's archaic language meaning, and what do I wish? If it already be kindled. If we were only to update the archaic language, we would read, I am come to send fire on the earth, and what do I will, if it already be kindled? The American King James Version, the American Standard Version, the Darby Bible Translation, the English Revised Version, Webster's Bible Translation, and Young's Literal Translation all also read the verse properly translating it in a similar manner. This last translation, Young's, has it to, to read, Fire I came to cast to the earth, and what will I if already it was kindled? If I had to choose one of these versions rather than my own, reading the Greek and seeing the intended meaning, perhaps the American Standard Version is the most accurate and the closest to our own translation where it reads, I came to cast fire upon the earth, and what do I desire if it is already kindled? So with this we should see the danger of picking and choosing a Bible translation to support an idea or even an agenda that we are comfortable with. This is why when I started to study Christian identity 20 years ago, I eventually decided that I had to develop my opinions on an informed perspective based on the original languages. So ultimately I made the Christiania New Testament and all of my commentaries on scripture are based on that. At least if I make a mistake, it is my own 
I must accept responsibility for it, and I cannot blame it on others. Oh, the King James made me do it. Wow. So now let us read Luke 12.49 in context from our own translation. It will start to become evident why we are elaborating on all of this. I have come to cast fire upon the earth. And what do I purpose if already it is ignited? Now I have an immersion to be immersed in and how I am constrained until when it should be completed. Do you suppose that I have come to offer peace in the earth? No, I say to you, but rather division. For there shall be from this time five divided in one house, three against two and two against three. Father shall be divided against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against wife, especially if she's a Filipino, and wife against mother-in-law. Here we must recognize the fact that there are multiple layers of separation described in the New Testament, multiple layers of division. The first and most important is mentioned in 1 Peter chapter 1 and 2 Corinthians chapter 6 that the children of Israel turning to Christ are once again to make themselves a holy and separate people, separating themselves from the other races and from non-Christians in general. But the next level of separation is that which is caused by the gospel itself, because not all of us shall receive it. That is the division of which Christ speaks here in Luke chapter 12, that even members of single families shall be divided one against the other. For this reason, we cannot act against our enemies because more of our own people are against us than the number which are with us, and we would be found fighting against one another more fiercely than we would fight against the aliens and the enemies of God. For this reason, we have no choice than to wait for the appropriate time to arise and thresh. We cannot act prematurely if we want any opportunity to act at all. If we act prematurely, we may see ourselves cut off and useless to our own people. Therefore, Christ himself warned that we must be as wise as the serpents and as harmless as doves. So our friend who posted Luke 12.49 on social media used a poor translation, and I forget exactly which one, but it was along the lines of those which read the passage to say, as the contemporary English version has it, I came to set fire to the earth, and I wish it were already on fire. This bad translation is misleading because, as our friend also supposed, it leads, it leads Christians to believe that Christ wants his followers, his people, to set the fire. 
rather than wait on him to set it. As we have seen, the best interpretations of the Greek inform us that he sets the fire and that his purpose is for naught if the world is already burning by some other means. Our friend, disgusted by the things which he sees around him and the condition of the country in which he lives, which isn't America, evidently sought to find a way to encourage like-minded people to do something about that condition presently. So the translation of Luke 12.49, which he chose, justified that attitude, as he had asked something along the lines of, are we waiting for Christ, or is Christ waiting for us? Well, if Christ expected the world to be already kindled, we could imagine that Christ is waiting for us, but that's a very poor translation. Christ asked, what is my purpose if it is already kindled? Which leads us to believe that we must wait for Christ. Without a doubt, many other scriptures inform Christians that they should be waiting for Christ. We will discuss those shortly. But first, we must examine the historical pattern of sin and punishment repentance and deliverance, which the scriptures give us as an example. Paul had told the Romans, for whatsoever things were written aforetime, were written for our learning, that through patience and comfort of the scriptures we might have hope. Then Paul told the Corinthians, speaking of our Old Testament ancestors. Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Therefore, these admonitions must not escape us. We will only give one example of this pattern otherwise we'll be here for a week. One example should be sufficient. From Judges chapter 2, from verse 7. And the people served Yahweh all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of Yahweh that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of Yahweh, died, being a hundred and ten years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance, in timnath Heres, in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill of Gash. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. And there arose another generation after them, which knew not Yahweh, nor the works which he had done for Israel. They may have had the history, but not the experience. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of Yahweh, and served Balaam. And Balaam is plural for Baal. 
And they forsook Yahweh, God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods, of the gods of the people that were round about them, and bowed themselves unto them, and provoked Yahweh to anger. And they forsook Yahweh, and served Baal and Ashtaroth, the Greek Astart. Imagine that. The Greeks got their gods from the Hebrews. I guess the Greeks, the pagan Greeks, must have had nigger gods, right? I'm only kidding. I'm only being sarcastic. That's another argument. And they forsook Yahweh and served Baal and Ashtaroth. And the anger of Yahweh was hot against Israel. And he delivered them into the hands of spoilers that spoiled them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. Whithersoever they went out, the hand of Yahweh was against them for evil, as Yahweh had said, and as Yahweh had sworn unto them, and they were greatly distressed. So now when you walk down the avenue in your town, and niggers prevail over you everywhere, you should know why. Nevertheless, Yahweh raised up judges, which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. Donald Trump isn't one of them. And yet they would not hearken unto their judges, but went a-whoring after other gods, and bowed themselves unto them. They turned quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in, obeying the commandments of Yahweh. But they did not do so. And when Yahweh raised them up judges, then Yahweh was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For it repented Yahweh because of their groanings, by reason of them that oppressed them and vexed them. And it came to pass, when the judge was dead, that they returned and corrupted themselves more than their fathers, in following other gods to serve them and to bow down unto them. They ceased not from their own doings, nor from their stubborn way, and the anger of Yahweh was hot against Israel. And he said, Because that this people has transgressed my covenant which I commanded their fathers, and have not hearkened unto my voice, I will also not henceforth drive out any from before them of the nations which Joshua left when he died, that through them I may prove Israel, whether they will keep the way of Yahweh to walk therein, as their fathers did keep it, or not. The aliens were not removed from ancient Israel as a means by which to test Israel, because the children of Israel were not ceased from their idolatry. So what should we expect today when our own countrymen are fully engaged in the modern versions, the modern manifestations of that same idolatry? Baal and Ashtaroth were featured in last February's Super Bowl halftime show, and millions of our people were gleeful. Baal and Ashtaroth are in all of the latest Hollywood movies, and our people cannot wait for the opportunity to see them. Baal and Ashtaroth are all over television and the internet, spreading their degeneracy. Baal and Ashtaroth are in the denominational church pulpits, teaching the children of Yahweh to accept all other races and all sodomites and other sinners. Baal and Ashtaroth are even on your Facebook friends lists, 
usually appearing in topless selfies or wearing plastic mouse noses and fake furry ears. So for this we are overrun with niggers and Yahweh won't call off the dogs. Should we really think that such a sinful people as we have today deserve to be relieved of their oppressors? What does the scripture inform us? In 2 Chronicles 7.14 we read, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. We may or may not receive mercy before sufficient of our people repent, but we certainly have no right to demand or even to expect mercy before that time. However, those of us who do accept the gospel of Christ, the identity of Yahshua Christ with Yahweh our God, the redemption from the grave of which our race has an absolute assurance, the commandment for which we are to separate ourselves from all other races, as well as from those of our own who refuse that commandment, should also recognize Baal and Ashtaroth and cease from idolatry. We should also agree on all of the important racial and moral points of Scripture. Yet Paul of Tarsus still told the Corinthians, that there must also be heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. So divisions are inevitable, but we must also know where they come from, as the Apostle Peter informs us. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. The Endless Obscuring of Racial Lines A Gospel for the Beast of the Field Arguments over the ultimate fate of the non-white races The Arguments over a Flat Earth The Insistence of relying on sacraments or ceremonial works for righteousness or even for salvation. The insistence that we have two or even three gods by those who would deny that Yahshua Christ is indeed Yahweh come in the flesh. False theologies such as political dominionism which basically converts white Christians into zookeepers or the idea that Noah came to this planet on a spaceship, or to claim that there are hidden Nazis inside the hollow earth. These and many other differences of opinion are purposely sown amongst us and exploited by the enemies of Christ in order to keep us divided. Once we are taken in by one of these heresies, when we are convinced that we have knowledge and especially if the knowledge is seemingly special or esoteric knowledge, such as the false teaching that niggers came from another galaxy, 
quite often our pride prevents us from seeing other points of view or from seeing scriptural evidence that proves our supposed knowledge to be wrong and we refuse to accept the idea that what we perceive as knowledge is actually only bullshit. Our pride then causes us to act pharisaically, to beat our brethren over the head with our supposed knowledge until they either agree or they are forever driven away. Too often we become divided over minor issues which may not be provable one way or another. Doing that, we who accept the general and important aspects of Scripture make our relatively small numbers even smaller. When something can be found in the plain language of Scripture, we should accept it and not be found disputing with Yahweh our God. But when something is not explained by Scripture, even the Apostle Paul had said, A commandment of the Lord I do not have. But I give an opinion. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 25. And we are all entitled to hold our own opinions so long as they are not contrary to the plain word of Scripture. If Yahshua Christ foresaw the divisions among his people which his gospel would cause, as the passage at Luke chapter 12 verses 49 through 53 clearly suggests, then he also foresaw the circumstances under which those of his people who accept his word would have to abide, and that they would have no remedy without his intervention. There are a host of scriptures which illustrate the virtues of waiting on Yahweh, rather than attempting to take the vengeance of God into our own hands. Here are just a few of them. Just a few, probably a dozen, maybe. From the 27th Psalm, Teach me thy way, O Yahweh, and lead me in a plain path. Because of mine enemies, that's sort of like the old and effective business principle of Keep it simple, stupid. Deliver me not over under the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted unless I believed to see the goodness of Yahweh in the land of the living. Wait on Yahweh, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on Yahweh. Then from the 37th Psalm, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass, and wither as the green herb. Trust in Yahweh, and do good, so shalt thou dwell in a land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in Yahweh, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto Yahweh. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in Yahweh, and wait patiently for him. 
Fret not thyself because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon Yahweh, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be, though thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Further on in that same psalm, from verse 32. The wicked watcheth the righteous, and seeks to slay him. Yahweh will not leave him in his hand, nor condemn him when he is judged. Wait on Yahweh, and keep his way, and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. I have seen the wicked in great power, and spreading himself like a green bay tree, as we have over us everywhere today. Yet he passed away, and lo, he was not. Yeah, I sought him, but he could not be found. Mark the perfect man, and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together, the end of the wicked shall be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is of Yahweh. He is their strength in the time of trouble. And Yahweh shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. Now from the 123rd Psalm. Unto thee lift up I lift up my, mine eyes, I'm sorry. Unto thee I lift up mine eyes. O thou that dwellest in the heavens, behold, as the eyes of servants look unto the hand of their masters, and as the eyes of a maiden unto the hand of her mistress, so our eyes wait upon Yahweh our God, until that he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Yahweh. Have mercy upon us, for we are exceedingly filled with contempt. <coughs> I'm sorry, there's that cough again that was plaguing me last night after the first hour. O Yahweh, have mercy upon us, for we, for we are exceedingly filled with contempt. Our soul is exceedingly filled with the scorning of those that are at ease and with the contempt of the proud. And from the 130th Psalm, Out of the depths I have cried unto thee, O Yahweh. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications that Lord in verse 2 is Adonai the Hebrew word Adon from which we get Odin imagine that if thou Yahweh shouldest mark iniquities O Lord who shall stand but there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared I wait for Yahweh my soul does wait and in his word do I hope 
My soul waits for, for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say more than they that watch for the morning. Let Israel hope in Yahweh. For with Yahweh there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. The true faith in Christ is believing that Yahweh our God will do what he says. Not that we can save ourselves. Not that we can somehow make a wish and a dream comes true. But that Yahweh God can do what he says. That's the real faith in things not seen. It's not talking about mansions on the beach in Destin or in new brakes for your minivan. It's a belief that Yahweh's word is true. Then in Proverbs chapter 20 from verse 21 An inheritance may be gotten hastily at the beginning but the end thereof shall not be blessed. In other words you don't try to take your inheritance, your inheritance before its time. Say not thou I will recompense evil but wait on Yahweh and he shall save thee. Then when you receive your inheritance you will have it forever. From Isaiah chapter 8 Sanctify Yahweh of hosts himself and let him be your fear and let him be your dread and he shall be for a sanctuary but for a stone of stumbling and for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel for a gin and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem because they are off with Baal and Ashtaroth and many among them shall stumble and fall and be broken and be snared and be taken bind up the testimony seal the law among my disciples and I will wait upon Yahweh that hideth his face from the house of Jacob this was what was going on at the Assyrian deportations of Israel and I will look for him behold I and the children whom Yahweh has given me are for signs and for wonders in Israel from Yahweh of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion then in Isaiah chapter 40 where we have promises of recovery rather than promises of the impending punishment we saw much earlier in Isaiah why sayest thou O Jacob and speakest O Israel my way is hid from Yahweh these words are put in the mouth of Jacob and Israel my judgment is passed over from my God and then Yahweh responds hast thou not known hast thou not heard that the everlasting God Yahweh the creator of the ends of the earth faints not neither is weary there is no searching of his understanding he gives power to the faint and to them that have no might he increases strength even the youth shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall but they that wait upon Yahweh shall renew their strength they shall mount up with wings as eagles they shall run and not be weary and they shall walk and not faint and then again in Isaiah chapter 49 thus saith Yahweh God 
Behold, I will lift up mine hand to the nations, and set up my standard to the people. And they shall bring thy sons in their arms, and thy daughters shall be carried upon their shoulders. And kings shall be thy nursing fathers, and their queens thy nursing mothers. They shall bow down to thee with their face toward the earth, and lick up the dust of thy feet. And thou shalt know that I am Yahweh. For they shall not be ashamed that wait for me, Yahweh promising the children of Israel in their dispersions, in their captivity, that they will come to inherit the earth as it was promised to Abraham. Shall the prey be taken from the mighty, or the lawful captive delivered? But thus saith Yahweh, Even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terrible shall be delivered. For I will contend with him that contends with thee, and I will save thy children. Yahweh speaking to Israel, giving them an assurance in their captivity. From Micah chapter 7, Trust ye not in a friend. Put ye not confidence in a guide. Keep the doors of thy mouth from her that lieth in thy bosom. For the son dishonors the father, the daughter rises up against her mother. Sounds like the Gospel of Christ. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. Sounds like Joshua Christ in Luke chapter 12. Therefore I will look unto Yahweh. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, Yahweh shall be a light unto me. I will bear the indignation of Yahweh, because I have sinned against him, until he pleads my cause, and executes judgment for me. He will bring me forth to the light, and I shall behold his righteousness. From Zephaniah chapter 3. I said, Surely thou wilt fear me, thou wilt receive instruction, so their dwelling should not be cut off. Howsoever I punished them, but they rose early, and corrupted all their doings. Therefore wait ye upon me, saith Yahweh, until the day that I rise up to the prey. For my determination is to gather the nations, the sheep and the goats that I may assemble the kingdoms to pour upon them mine indignation even all my fierce anger for all the earth shall be devoured with the fire what would I wish if it were already kindled with the fire of my jealousy for then will I turn to people to the people of pure language that they may call upon the name of Yahweh to serve him with one consent then we will agree only Christ can gather his people after he destroys his enemies we will have division until then now in the New Testament from Luke chapter 12 from an earlier couple of verses from what we have been explaining here in Luke 12:49 to 53 this is from Luke chapter 12 verse 34 
For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let your loins be girded about, and your lights burning. Had that knowledge of God that half of the virgins in the parable of the ten virgins won't have. And ye yourselves, like unto men that wait for their Lord, when he will return from the wedding, and that when he comes and knocks, they may open unto him immediately, accepting Christ. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he comes, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you, that he shall gird himself, and make them to sit down to meet, and will come forth and serve them. And if he shall come in a second watch, or come in a third watch, and find them so, blessed are those servants. In regards to the enemies of Christ in Jerusalem, Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, this time from the Christogenian New Testament, because I couldn't stomach the mistranslations in the King James Version of this passage. For the mystery of lawlessness is already operating. He prevailing, meaning the Satan who is sitting in the temple of God pretending to be God, he prevailing only presently until he should be out of the way, and then will the lawless be revealed, whom Prince Yahshua will destroy with the breath of his mouth and abolish at the manifestation of his presence. You can't kindle the house of Esau beforehand. Then again in Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I thank my God always on your behalf, for the grace of God is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything you are enriched by him, in all utterance and in all knowledge even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm or establish you unto the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called under the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. As we said, faith is believing the word of God. That's the real substance of the Christian faith. That God will do what he said he will do. Again, Paul wrote in Hebrews chapter 10, Cast not away therefore your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he shall come, he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draws back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, who reject Christ, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Then in James chapter 5, Be patient therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waits for the precious fruit of the earth, and has long patience for it, until he receives the early and later rain. 
the early rain came in the spring. The, as we explained in our recent presentation of Bertrand Compare's Christianity in the Old Testament, the spring feasts represented the ministry, the first advent of Christ. But the fall feasts is when the later rain comes, just before the harvest. And the fall feasts represent the second advent of Christ. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draws near. And of course the apostles taught, all of the apostles taught that it was imminent because Yahshua Christ himself wanted Christians to act every day and live their lives every day as if it were imminent. If you thought it wasn't coming for 2,000 years, you would just be a screw-up. You would go off into sin. Ha! He's not coming for a long time. I could be a goofball all I want until then. That's how you would think. It's like when you're a little kid and you know that mommy and daddy are going away for the whole weekend. Friday night and Saturday night you're gonna party your ass off and Sunday morning you're gonna start to sweat bullets. That's the way it works. That's the way Christianity works. We must always act as if, if we're true Christians, as if the coming of Yahshua Christ is going to be ten minutes from now. That's what's expected of us. So that we don't run off partying with the devil. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. No divisions, unless you be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. In other words, the coming of Christ and the judgment of men is imminent. On this subject, Yahshua Christ himself has the last word, both literally and figuratively, as we read in the penultimate verse of his revelation, the testimony of John, that he which testifieth, he which testifieth, these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Waiting on Yahweh, we should exhort our brethren to repentance and obedience in Christ. And that is our Christian duty. But in the end, we cannot save them from punishment for their sins if they refuse to repent. This we see in a condemnation of Jerusalem found in Ezekiel chapter 14. The word of Yahweh came again to me, saying, Son of man, when the land sins against me by trespassing grievously, then will I stretch out my hand upon it, and will break the staff of the bread thereof, and will send famine upon it, and will cut off man and beast from it. Though these three men Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it. They should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith Yahweh God. If I ca cause noisome beasts, like Mexicans, to pass through the land, and they spoil it, so that it be desolate, 
that no man may pass through because of the beasts. Though these three men were in it, as I live, saith Yahweh God, they shall deliver neither sons nor daughters. They only shall be delivered, but the land shall be desolate. Or if I bring a sword upon that land, and say, Sword, go through the land, so that I cut off man and beast from it. Though these three men were in it, as I live, saith Yahweh God, they shall deliver neither sons nor daughters, but they only shall be delivered themselves. Or if I send a pestilence into that land, and pour out my fury upon it in blood, to cut off from it man and beast, though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, saith Yahweh God, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter, but shall they shall but or only deliver their own souls by their righteousness. For thus saith Yahweh God, How much more when I send my four sword judgments upon Jerusalem, the sword and the famine and the noisome beast and the pestilence, to cut off from it man and beast? So we must ask, how can we expect to do better than Noah, Daniel, and Job? The revelation of Yahshua Christ lays out for us a schematic outlining His will for our people. It's not going to change. Ultimately, in Revelation chapter 18, and after the curses of many plagues and vials, foreboding punishment for those dwelling upon the earth. We read of the fall of Mystery Babylon. It is only then that we see the call to come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, no would Daniel and Job would listen, and that ye receive not of her plagues. All those who don't listen will be punished along with the enemies of God and to reward her even as she rewarded you double, and double unto her, double according to her works, in the cup which she has filled, filled to her double. So we see that the children of Yahweh shall one day have the opportunity to partake in his vengeance against his enemies. But it must be done in his time, and not in our own, or we shall fail and render ourselves useless to our kindred. Many men, Gary Yarborough died just the other night, many men are dead or sit in prisons, because in their frustration they sought to take up the justice of God and execute it for themselves. On these major issues, if we do not agree, we are not of service to either our God or our people, because it removes us from the things which we should be doing to edify our brethren and to advance the cause of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. More than anything else, pride causes us to cling to false knowledge rather than the knowledge of God. True humility is submission to the Word of God. I have a podcast on that somewhere. I should probably dig out and represent soon, or expand on soon. Pride also causes us to want to take the vengeance of God into our own hands.
when the scripture tells us clearly that we must wait on him. Waiting on him also requires humility and often a humility which is even difficult to bear as we stand by and see our brethren suffer in the world. The Apostle Peter also warned us about that where he wrote, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, this is 1 Peter chapter 5, as a roaring lion walks about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions, there are many devils in shoe leather in this world, stalking Christians all the time, stalking white Christians all the time, because the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. While Christ had informed his apostles that they had the power to tread on devils, on serpents and scorpions, he did not grant them the power to overthrow the idolatrous Roman Empire, just as we seem powerless to fight with the beast system today. But if you are more interested in flat earth, or in flying saucers, or in loving niggers rather than in loving your brother and pursuing what things are actually in the scripture, you shall continue to cause divisions and you make yourself more useful to the enemies of Christ than to his people. If you would rather insist that Adam and Eve did not have belly buttons, then admit that you cannot know that with any certainty. You seek to rule over your brethren after the manner of the Pharisees, rather than love your brethren after the manner of Christ. Last week, Melissa and I traveled to Kentucky to attend Pastor Mark Downey's funeral. Mark and his wife, Debbie, had been, for a long time, good friends of ours, and we had many wonderful recollections of their fellowship. But people wonder, how was William Fink such a friend with a man who denied to sea line? So I will tell you how. While Mark Downey did not understand Genesis chapter 3, or Revelation chapter 12, quite the way that we understand it, He always listened to my opinions on those chapters, and he never argued with me over them. And while he was not what we call two seed line, he nevertheless understood that the Jews were inherently evil by reason of their racial corruption, and he knew that none of the non-white races were of God. So Mark would never have thought that a nigger could be found in the kingdom of heaven. Most importantly, he understood that Yahshua Christ was Yahweh God in the flesh, even if he shied away from the Hebrew names for God and Christ. We agreed on the major issues, so we did not have to fight with one another over the minor ones. And even with this, we had many intense debates in the Christogenia Forum over the drinking of wine in the Gospel, over the nature of spirits and demons, 
but we never let the minor differences interrupt our fellowship and our friendship. All of our brethren should learn from that example. Mark and I both could lay aside our differences and not let our egos be inflated for the sake of our fellowship. But when we cannot convince our brethren of things which are not explicitly spelled out in Scripture, regardless of how clearly we ourselves may see them in the cross-references and in the metaphors and allegories, we are better off setting the difference on the back burner for the sake of brotherly love so that we can be free to engage in the important battles that we face. As Paul had explained in Ephesians chapter 6, which are not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. To win that battle, we must love one another and win the hearts and minds of our brethren by our example. For that, Paul further encouraged his readers in that same place to stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. And having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer, and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints not just for the ones who believe that the earth is flat so why do we have divisions evidently because only Christ himself can gather his people as he so often informs us in scripture but if we love one another, we can put away petty divisions and edify our brethren. If we prefer to love ourselves, we will continue to have divisions until he comes. Thank you for listening. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and the eternal enemy of all other races. And good night.